How's it going, friends? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods. In this episode of the show, I'm super excited to introduce you to Tracy Lockwood Beckerman. She's a nationally recognized registered dietitian, author of the new book, The Better Period Food Solution, and women's health expert. She's the nutrition expert for Betches Media, a regular guest on the podcast, Diet Starts Tomorrow, and is the host of Well and Good's YouTube series, You Versus Food. Food. In this episode, you'll discover the different phases of the menstrual cycle and the specific foods to eat to support each one for better health, how food affects hormone balance, fertility, and the monthly flow, how we've become seduced by diet culture, and so much more. I learned a ton from this episode, and whether you're a guy or a girl, I'm sure that you're going to learn a lot as well. So grab a pen and paper, get ready to take notes. This is going to be an awesome ride. But before we get into it, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode of the show, and that is my friends at Ned. Ned makes a line of very high quality CBD infused products, and appropriately enough for this episode, they just announced their newest product, a Natural Cycle Monthly Kit, a unique collection of CBD-infused tinctures specifically made to bring healing to your body and harmony to your rhythm all month long so that you can stop suffering and get back to living your best life. The kit includes four NED products perfectly in sync with the four phases of your menstrual cycle, slow crafted with love from seed to bottle by an extraordinary team of women. All Ned products are made with all natural, organic, non-GMO, and ethically wild crafted ingredients. And if you wanted to give anything that Ned has to offer a try, all you got to do is head over to helloned.com and use promo code Genius, and you'll get to save 15% off of your entire order uh, if it's your first time ordering. That is helloned.com, promo code Genius. You'll get 15% off of your order if you're a first-time customer. So check them out and enjoy. Now guys, if you are enjoying The Genius Life, please take a moment to spread the word about it on your social media. I would really appreciate that. And leave that rating and review for the show on iTunes. It really helps the show rise up the ranks. And I read every single one of them and I listen to your feedback. For example, this review came over from LHD is Mukes. I don't know how to pronounce that, but she wrote, I've been listening for quite some time as well as read your book. The information and content you bring is simply fantastic. The podcast with Kelly Levesque was next level. You two are the best and my favorite in this walnut space. I truly appreciate all the knowledge you share to live a healthy life. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, LHD is Mukes. Uh, it's my pleasure. And to all you guys out there, I love to bring you guys the best interviews that I can week after week. So please spread the word about The Genius Life so that I can continue to do so. The number one way that you guys can uh, support The Genius Life is by going to my website at maxlugavere.com and by joining my newsletter. Um, all you got to do is leave your first and last name. You can opt out whenever you want. But immediately upon signing up, I'm going to send you a list of 11 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function as well as my number one sleep hack that I use for better and more rejuvenating sleep. And the way that the newsletter supports the podcast is it allows me to get my latest projects out to you um, and let you know about things I'm excited about and science that I think has the potential to change your life in a way that is unbeholden to the algorithms of social media. It's a platform that I own, essentially. So the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world can uh, you know, continue to squeeze content creators so that they've got to pay to reach their audiences. But email lists are, you know, something that content creators own. And um, yeah, so that is very valuable to people like me. And uh, I would really appreciate it. So that's all I had to say. And now I'm excited to get onto this uh, episode of the show with Miss Tracy Lockwood Beckerman. Let's rock. Tracy Lockwood Beckerman, thank you so much for being with me. Hell yeah, Max. Great to be here. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you about a topic that I know very little about. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> and that is and that is period health. Yes, well, it's it's no surprise that people don't know much about it, and you're not the only one. So you're all you're in good hands. Well, I'm uh, I'm I'm glad because you know the genius life is all about going places that um you know that are uncharted territory. First, let's talk a little bit about you know your background and why you decided to um make this the topic of your new book. Yeah, totally. So when I was growing up, I was definitely curious. I was a curious kid. I knew that I needed to be a doctor and I didn't know that the world of dietetics, which is nutritional science, can be a great field for me. And it was weird because when I was growing up, 
I had such weird questions that normal kids weren't having. Like, why could I like drink water upside down while hanging on like the monkey bars? And like, why could I stop like suddenly bleeding after a scrape on my knee? And I was just super curious. So when I was in high school, my grandpa moved into my house because he had to get emergency triple bypass. And I learned a lot about him in a really short period of time and wanted to be that helpful grandkid that I knew that I should should be. So we were eating breakfast one morning and I asked him, you know, why did you get that scary surgery pop up? And he was like, well, my body doesn't do a good job at cleaning itself up thanks to his diabetes, which he had type 2 diabetes for a number of years before. And so I ignorantly was like, okay, so how do we clean up your body? And he said, well, I need to watch how much sugar I eat. So he showed me his insulin pumps, his finger sticks, his notebook of recording like all of his blood sugars. And from that day forward, I was like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you read all the food labels and make sure that you're in um, a good place of management where you're having cereals and ice creams with low sugar. And, you know, I would always like give him the stink eye if he was eating my stash of candy. But I thought like what what I'm doing for him on a solo scale could be applied to the greater masses by pursuing a degree in nutritional sciences. So that's why I kind of became an RD. Um, So I became an RD, went to grad school, and then I started working with a ton of patients in different settings from weight loss to eating disorders, pregnancy. And then one of my friends had difficulty getting pregnant, and that completely opened up my eyes to the world of fertility and how hormones like cortisol and low leptin, which is the hormone for body, uh, for for, uh, fat, um, could really help and prevent somebody from becoming pregnant. So that like kind of catapulted me into the women's health space and educating women about getting to know their bodies and how that menstrual cycle that they have is a true depiction about somebody's menstrual health and their general health in, in, um, in whole. That's amazing. You touched on leptin, which uh, I think is super interesting. So leptin is this hormone that's produced by our fat cells, right? Yeah, exactly. And so what's the relationship between between leptin and fertility? Yeah, so leptin is one of the are one of the hormones that your body needs in order to facilitate a healthier menstrual cycle. So if you don't have enough leptin in your body, your brain does not feel that you're in a state to support a healthy pregnancy. And you know, kind of fast forward forwarding into a couple of years that went by, I was trying to, uh, I went off the pill and I was trying to get my cycle back and I was very low on leptin, high in cortisol, and I was diagnosed with something called hypothalamic amenorrhea. And that's when, you know, your hypothalamus, the controller in your brain stops producing a really important hormone that you need to sustain a menstrual cycle, which is uh, GnRH, which is gonadotropin releasing hormone. So leptin is like a precursor to allowing a cascade of a hundred thousand types of processes in the body to occur to really orchestrate a menstrual cycle. That's amazing. So is that one of the reasons why when women... Uh, maybe for competitions or just for, um, you know, personal goals, get down uh, to a really lean body composition, they they lose their periods? Exactly, exactly. And that philosophy is called the female athlete triad, where you have a triangle of of factors that are contributing to, like you said, um, to low uh, leptin, to a decreased uh, energy intake. So you're either on a calorie deprivation or you're not, or you're ex, um, expending too many calories in your eating. In addition, you could also have um, low bone mineral density. So they're thinking that that triangle is all very correlated and then causing somebody to develop this thing, which is called amenorrhea. And, you know, that is extremely prevalent in the world of, um, you know, like you said, athletes, but also it's become really prevalent um, in stressful women, in people who are dieting chronically, who are exercising abundantly. So it's not just athletes, it's everybody. Wow. So you see amenorrhea in women who become uh, very lean, which, you know, tells us obviously that, you know, fat is there for a purpose. It signals to the body that, you know, probably the, the females in a, in a, 
maybe it's seasonal, but it, there's a there's food that's abundantly available because you have these fat stores, and that's the probably the best time to raise a child. Yes. Um, right. But do you do you see amenorrhea at the other end of the weight spectrum with obese and and maybe even overweight women where there is abundant leptin, but perhaps they've become leptin resistant? Is that common yeah. there as well? Yeah, you know, it's funny because within right now in our world, we're seeing so many extremes. We're seeing extremely underweight. We're seeing extremely overweight. And at both ends of the spectrum, we're having conditions that can really impact somebody's ability to have a normal cycle, to uh, release an egg during ovulation, or to become pregnant. And from the higher end of like the BMI chart, um, we're seeing a lot of women experience PCOS, which can be a signal um, to the body that there is too much leptin in addition to insulin resistance. Wow. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Wow. (laughs) So, um, so let's talk about periods. Yeah, let's do <laughs> it. Something that half the population have to contend with every month. Yes, and it's it's funny you say contend with because it's it is a very contentious relationship with, <laughs> with that people have with their periods. And you know, I was doing some research for my book that's coming out soon, and I was startled to hear these facts. But so, an, on average, a woman menstruates between um, you know thirteen years of age and fifty one. And we endure 456 total periods. Okay, now putting that into a different perspective, that's roughly 2,280 days that we have with our periods. That's six and a quarter years of our life. Like, imagine if I told you, Max, that you need to dedicate six and a quarter years to something that you needed to have for your entire life. I would probably opt out unless that thing were, I don't know, Yeah. eating Eating, delicious foods or something more positive. Yeah. People would be like, no, I'm going to unsubscribe. Like that doesn't, that doesn't bode well with me. But fortunately, you know, we have to start looking at our menstrual cycles as something that we are feeling empowered about and that we feel even lucky to have. And, you know, on the same note of just overall menstrual health, menstrual education, in this world is like devastating and menstrual equality is what's being referred now as access to like sanitary products, education about reproductive health. And we're now learning about something that's called the uh, pink tax. And that's when the government places a luxury tax on menstrual products. And like when I was learning about this, my mind was blown because realizing that not all products are taxed. For instance, condoms are not taxed. Viagra is not taxed. So why do these items that we need that were actually necessary, like menstrual products, they're being taxed, which is like mind blowing. And anyway, a lot of states are lobbying against the tax and New York, Florida, Illinois, and California have repealed the tax. So we're doing we're doing something good. That's amazing. I was not aware. I'd heard of the pink tax, but I was not aware that it was a government-imposed tax. I thought it was just like, you know, companies like Gillette are like, well, women are going to spend more on this stuff than men because it's about appearance. And, you know, women's appearances are always inadequate, right, according to these companies. So I thought that it was imposed by these by the corporations. I didn't realize that it was a government tax. Yeah. So, so states are like, wait, so I can decide as a state if I want to impose these. And more of them are being like, no, I think this is not equal. This is not fair. And they're repealing it, which has been really exciting. Ohio just eliminated the tax. So, you know, checking off the boxes. So um, anyway, what I wanted to talk about was beyond this menstrual movement that's happening, what I decided to do in this time, especially when I was dealing with my own um, diagnosis of not getting my period and then learning what I needed to be you know, what I needed to be doing best for my body to regain a cycle, I wanted to take all of that information, that research, um, and put it into a book that's easy to understand and also to help empower women to not just learn about their cycles, but know that if something is off, then there are ways that you could fix it through food, but there also, it could be a bigger picture of your health that you may need to, you know, work with a doctor, work with an endocrinologist to see what is going on. I love this. So you basically coined the concept of food cycling, um, which is, I think really fascinating. Let's, what do you, what is food cycling? So when I was 
going through this and I was writing about chapters um, such as amenorrhea, thyroid issues, endometriosis, uh, PCOS. And I was like, well, what about the normal person who just wants to eat better for a for their 28 average day cycle? And I thought to myself, well, if we're realizing that hormones are really at the epicenter of all of these days where you know hormones are fluctuating, we should really be eating to support a um, better cycle through better hormones. And so I created something called food cycling, which you said, and broke it into four different parts, which help um, kind of chop up the menstrual cycle and you know to to help you dive into it a little bit more. I know this is kind of weird for you because you I think don't have a menstrual cycle, but <laughs> you could always benefit from engaging in a conversation with somebody who has period problems, let's say, right? Yeah, for sure. Can you take can, yeah, and I would love to know about the different phases of the menstrual cycle and I feel like my male listeners would appreciate that as well. Yeah, for sure. So Let's start off with the first one. So that's the menstrual phase, and that is when we bleed. So that is the first one. That's day. Um, that's day one of your cycle. Um, and then from this menstrual phase, we are learning that this is the perfect time to revive our diet and add nutrients back into our bodies. Because you know, when you're shedding shedding your uterine lining, you know, you're losing energy, you're losing blood. So you want iron rich foods, which can help um, rebuild that red blood cell count in our body, because we typically do lose about one teaspoon of blood a day. Um, nice, right? <laughs> like, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then so other foods that you can have like grass fed meat, um, dark leafy greens and lentils, those are awesome. Um, in addition, you want like vitamin C rich foods to help with the absorption of iron. Um, I'm not sure if people know, but with iron, it breaks down into two different types of iron. It's the heme and then the non-heme. And the heme is really amazing because that's in um, meat products and our body like welcomes that with open arms when it comes to absorption. However, with non-heme, it's a little bit more stubborn. So vitamin C has been shown to help break down um, that barrier of absorption and allow it to be more bioavailable in the body. So whenever people are like having some dark leafy greens or lentils, just putting in some like lemon juice or even like some sauteed kale with it changes the game really. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. No, that was really fun to learn about. Um, and then additionally having some zinc, which is awesome because it helps remineralize, remineralize and reflect, refresh your blood after your blood loss, which is awesome. So having some, um, you know, some seaweed and like peanut butter, those are really great sources. Wow. So that's your menstrual cycle. And that, does that begin the minute? Okay. So, you know, obviously I don't have the vernacular down, but like there's spotting, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's like the full on flow. This is, does it this is flow, my friend. This is the flow. Okay. This so this counts. Flow. This is the flow. Got yes. it. Yes. And it should last, you know, some people's period, they last um, for seven days, some five days, but essentially, you know, you could tell um, when you're stopping to bleed because the blood change does occur to become a little bit more brown and a little bit more light. Um, I don't want to veer too far from like the food discussion and food cycling because I think it's fascinating. But yeah. since we're on the topic of menstruation, what are the healthiest like um, that you've uncovered in your research, sanitary like products that you would recommend? I mean, are they pads? Are they tampons? Like, is it just a personal decision? Yeah. Are there things that, that women can look out for to make, uh, you know, to find safer products? Totally. So this is, has been actually on the tip of everyone's tongue, um, especially in New York, because a law was just passed in New York. I think it was even last week that tampon companies and menstrual health products need to show the ingredients on their list of products, which like also mind blown because we're in a world where we can see the labels and the in ingredients and in all of our food and that's going into our body yet pads, tampons, diva cups, anything that we're being placed near our vagina, we don't know what's in it. So I like was so excited to learn that this is happening in New York. Um, but that being said, it's extremely personalized. Like some people are finding a lot of success with something like the Diva Cup, which is a, um, a device that you can put inside your vagina to collect the um, uh, liquid that is released like the blood and then also any other things that are coming out of you. Um, and then that gets like uh, – sorry, like tossed in the toilet and like you don't have any waste from that. But anyway – 
you can also do pads and tampons. And there are a lot of better for you companies now that don't use any synthetic dyes that use organic tamp uh, cotton. And that takes like just changes the game a lot with um, the availability of these awesome products. That's great. I know. Um, I know. It's cool. And I also feel like I don't know much about the Diva Cup, but I know that people are obsessed with it because it doesn't reduce or sorry, it reduces environmental waste. That's amazing. Are they made typically with like plastic or do you find companies that are like yeah, i mean i guess rub, rubber plastic would be the most sanitary but I, I worry about which i know you also talk about in your book you know the potential exposure to endocrine disruptors and things like that yeah they're i think all of them most of the, the ones that i'm aware of are bpa free so they're um you know they're taking into consideration a lot of worries and and um things that we're um, nervous about to put in our bodies for such a long period of time. Great. Yeah. Okay. So we've got- So the uh, menstrual phase. The menstrual phase. Yes. Down. Down. And then, so the next one is a little bit more exciting. This is the follicular phase. And this is when the egg is starting to develop. And your goal is really to eat a wholesome, well-rounded, colorful diet because estrogen is starting to creep up. And Looking into the research, there was an incredible study um, called the BioCycle Study. And the BioCycle Study is like one of its kind because I'm not sure if we've like taken a step back from research, but if we look at research studies, regularly cycling women are often excluded from being subject participants because our hormones will help or sorry, will um, interfere with the study that's going on, which is why men are like the the subjects of a lot of a lot of research. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I mean, when it comes to fasting and things like that, I, mm-hmm. I see this all the time. You know, the study was performed in men. Exactly. Um, yeah. So you bring up a, you bring up a really great point. Yeah, and like I just think that it is a disadvantage in the world of research for women of reproductive age because we can't apply the same type of conclusions to our own lives. Um, and, you know, we're reading headlines and it's saying intermittent fasting is fantastic for people. And then we go into the literature and it's actually on men. And then we yeah. see that research comes out in women and actually shows pretty detrimental effects, um, not just on um, the emotional capacity of intermittent fasting and what it does for dis- people with disordered eating, but also its effect on the menstrual cycle. And um, one piece of research did come out to show that it actually, um, in two weeks, intermittent fasting in women um, stopped their menstrual cycle um, and then their ovary shrunk. So it's like crazy that we would be able to translate a lot of these headlines to our own lives without knowing the consequences. Such an amazing point and crucial. So are you, it sounds like you're not a a big fan of the, you know, intermittent fasting, or at least like the fad version of it where everybody's just, you know, overzealously jumping into these extended fasts. But what are your take? What's your take? I work mostly with women and I work with women who perhaps have you know, um, a relationship with food that isn't the healthiest. And now you're being told you can't eat this from the hours of this to this. How do you think that like ultimately causes somebody to feel who has a history of perhaps disordered eating or negative body image? It's pretty, pretty bad. So that's that type of diet in my practice from what I've seen is not beneficial, but I have actually seen a lot of success with intermittent fasting in men, which is ironic that you say that. Hmm. I mean, I guess the, the, the benefits, the pros and cons have to be weighed against like whatever the patient's personal relationship happens to be with food. I mean, I certainly know plenty of women who do not have disordered eating patterns mm-hmm. when it comes to food, Yeah. but I guess you're right in that a lot do. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like back to like 101 about dieting is that there's not one diet for everybody. But if you can peel back the layers as to perhaps what's making this diet seem appeal, like uh, attracting, attractive to them, like then you can really see if they're that diet could be like the best for them to follow. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway, so with the follicular phase, there was research with this biocycle study, like I mentioned, that shows uh, that's done on reproductive um, 
age women, they found that oxidative stress is super, super high right before ovulation, which is during this time, which is why it's so, so important to load up on like vitamin C rich foods, like grapes and broccoli, citrus foods. And these foods are packed with like polyphenols and carotenoids and, um, you know, flavonoids as well. So this phase yeah. is when the egg is like being released from the ovary and it's sort of like Wait. starting to make its way down. And this is just before... Ovulation. Yes, right? this is like when the egg is starting to develop. It hasn't yet been released, but it's starting to to grow. And from like this phase, we really want to make sure that all of um, the estrogen is like the real big focus here. And that's why there's these foods. So the sulfur rich foods are known to like detox the liver somewhat because they contain these compounds called indoles. And those have really good protective effects on the liver. And the reason why I say that the liver is so important is because the liver helps to metabolize any extra estrogen in the body. And if we know anything about estrogen, we need this to be pretty balanced throughout our cycles or else you can have a little bit more fluctuations with PMS, with um, mood changes, with breast tenderness. So that's why these foods like Brussels sprouts and cabbage and broccoli, cauliflower, I'm like so for them, especially during this phase. Super important. And you bring up like a really interesting point that I think needs to be underscored that even though the liver is the body's primary detox organ, I mean, we can still and we still need to support the organ's ability to detox with the choices that we make at mealtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, exactly. And like, even with the liver, the liver we know is amazing for us, but the liver could get really sleepy. The liver could be overexposed to a lot of disruptors. And, you know, I think we'll talk about this a little bit later, but if the liver is not in its best condition, the body can have some sort of negative cascading effect. So that's why these foods are super important to support good liver health. Yeah. And when it comes to like estrogen and purging excess estrogen, I mean, there are a number of, of cancers that are linked to having, you know, excessive amounts of estrogen, right? I mean, yeah. breast cancer mm -hmm. would be one example, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Cervical cancer, uterine cancer, ovarian cancer, um, you know, just the list kind of goes on. So that's why we, once we kind of dive into estrogen balance, um, especially with, um, you know, this phase, but also with the ovulatory phase and then the phase going forward, which is the luteal phase, that's like really key in making sure that you're not having these negative changes happening to the body. Um, yeah. And then finally with the follicular phase, um, healthy fats. So you were, we were talked a little bit before about leptin and healthy fats are amazing to help produce enough leptin in the body because it really ensures that the body has enough energy to develop and release this healthy follicle coming up in the next phase. So that's why you have to have those avocados, those seeds, those nuts um, to help help that move move everything into a good condition. Um, and then the last thing with the follicular follicular phase is alcohol. Um, so alcohol is really important to have in moderation here because alcohol and estrogen do compete for that liver metabolism. <laughs> and <laughs> alcohol wins. It's the body definitely will want to get rid of alcohol faster in the body than estrogen. So that can leave estrogen in the blood, which can lead to a buildup, which we don't want. So that's why having one glass of wine for females is really important around this time. Crucial. I'm so glad, glad you brought up alcohol. There's also an interesting link between alcohol consumption and breast cancer mm -hmm. yep. occurrence. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And we're just finding more and more research about um, these uh, pretty bad effects of alcohol when it's done in, um, in excess. So, you know, back to that whole moderation and, you know, going in, into a little bit more soul searching with how alcohol makes you feel because, um, in the next phase, in the ovulatory phase, and that's when the egg is released, people, um, people have been looking into estrogen's effects, um, on dopamine and they're finding that alcohol reinforces the rewarding effects of alcohol, of, of the rewarding effects sorry, that estrogen alters these dopamine levels and that reinforces the rewarding effects of alcohol because everyone gets excited. And that causes women to drink more during ovulation when estrogen is high. Ugh. So I feel like that <laughs> is a really 
hard time right now um, during ovulation because we don't want more alcohol to be introduced to the body um, when estrogen is super, super high, like you said, which can lead to other issues. Is ovulation the point at which people tend to feel the most uh, frisky? Is that, am I... (laughs) I'm so yes, um, good for you. I'm glad that you know that. So ovulation is like the time to get it on, especially if you're trying to conceive. (laughs) Um, But you know, it's really interesting after kind of looking into the research here. What happens during ovulation is our bodies are, you know, we're programmed to procreate and estrogen and testosterone really enhances sexual desire and women shift their their behaviors from eating, like feeding and foraging, to actually wanting sex, which is crazy because we're seeing that our appetites during the ovulatory phases are suppressed, which means that we're not looking as much to eating, we're more engaged with having sex. And that is because of the sex hormones that are designed to manipulate and suppress our hormones. I was shocked when I learned this. I mean, from a guy's standpoint, it's like it's like the perfect storm because you get these women in their ovulatory phase. They're the cheapest dates because they're not hungry, and all they want to and and all they want to do is get in bed. It's amazing. You know what? It's like you should just before you could just ask ask what day people are on when we about to go on a date with them. Be like, so what day of your cycle are you on? Is this a good time, or should we meet up next week? Like, you could totally rig the system. I feel like that is a huge missed opportunity for dating apps. Yeah. They should totally sync up with oh, like these, these period apps. Yes, uh, syncing up with apps. Wow, cycle syncing and uh, app syncing. Well, this is brilliant. We're onto something. There was also a study I feel like that found that women were more attractive to men mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Is it there? Is there an effect of of estrogen and ovulation on skin or something? Um. Yeah. I mean, I think with. The- more attracted to men, it just could be more because of the testosterone, which is coming to the party. And that also enhances sexual desires. So that could be like the reason why you're more prone to pouncing during that time. (laughs) Um, But also like just to show you that another hormone that is not even at bat here, which is progesterone, and that's been known to boost appetite. But during ovulation, progesterone isn't even in sight. And that is like hilarious because then at the next phase, which we'll learn about in a second, that's when our appetite really goes like haywire. Because if you look at what we're really consuming in the ovulatory phase, it's actually a lot less than what we normally are um, in the whole cycle. So that's why as we continue on to the latter half of the phase, we're all of a sudden maybe wanting second portions. We're desiring different types of food, which this is all like very much manipulated by our hormones, not by anything else. And like that to me is was an explosion when I learned that too. That's amazing. But ovulation is also the, uh, just before we move on to the next phase, it's also the time at which it's easiest to get pregnant. So you do want to be careful exactly. during that. Yes, yes. Right. And I do make note in the book, like if you're trying to conceive, like this is when you got to do it. But if you're not trying to conceive, to definitely use, use protection. Yeah. Do you talk about that in your book, protection and the best types of birth control that are available now? Because yeah. I know that, you know, the, the pill and all that stuff. I mean, oh, it's like, to, from my standpoint, it's like, I, I have no idea when people ask me what I would recommend. I'm just like, I oh, stick with a condom. You know? <laughs> just go back to basics. Yeah. I mean, I think it's so dependent on um, some a female's decision on what they want to be putting into their bodies. You know, I think right now, a lot of women, um, especially in, in my, in my field, um, they're actually teaching their clients how to go off the pill and learn how to go with the natural rhythms of their cycle and without a form of hormonal birth control. Um, in addition, I think, you know, you kind of have to consider the family history or even just the history of somebody's period. If they've had terrible cramps or they've had just like really bad back pain or they're prone to, um, you know, even endometriosis or PMDD, which is an enhanced, um, pretty bigger, a bit much bigger form of PMS, you need to perhaps intervene with hormone manipulation. So it really just depends on on what's going to make that woman feel best about their bodies. And of course, if they're, you know, trying to stay safe and, and, um, and whatnot. Yeah. Is it true that there's only a few days of the month where you can get, you can get pregnant? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So 
apparently this is, uh, you know, based on, um, you know, research, but some people say that it can, um, it can change, but sperm can live inside um, a woman's body for 72 hours. So let's say it's somebody is on day 12 of their cycle and they've had intercourse two days before. They can technically still get pregnant by that active sperm, um, which is definitely noted in, in the book, but also just, you know, for more um, discussion around, you know, being safe with your partner. If you're not trying to conceive and you're not using protection, you know, that could be a big red flag and you can actually become pregnant from sperm that's been inside of you for a couple of days. Wow. Yeah. Just got to be careful. They just hang on. You yeah. know? Well, that's another big thing with ov- ovulation. So within this time there, there's a change in the cervical mucus and it becomes like the discharge does become more sticky, which means that it can trap the sperm. So really it's like oh a, it's a perfect storm of that environment of texture for the sperm to become trapped. Wow. <laughs> it's like a web. That is amazing. I know. <laughs> but this, Women's bodies. <laughs> I know. But you know, you learn about these things and you're just really hoping that people are becoming more in tune with these changes because it really is important to work with them and not trying to change these things and work against it. Couldn't agree more. Um, so what's the phase after ovulation? For sure. So this is the uh, the final phase. Phase. This is the luteal phase. And this is also um, when PMS or premenstrual syndrome can occur. And this is when the body preps for the next period, which will be after it, um, and that's a big circle, by rebuilding this uterine lining. And that is what is ultimately shed during your period. But this is the time when your body is trying to rebuild and reform this um environment in your uterus to actually support a pregnancy. So that's why we often will be hungrier because we're actually building in within our uterus um, an environment that is going to be safe and that could protect what this um, combination of sperm and egg. So that's like a really interesting type of way to look at it, that it's not just, you know, this time where PMS sucks and we want to stay on our couch. And like, this is all very um, important in wanting to even get pregnant one day where the body has to rebuild and look within the body to create this uterine um, environment that can actually be um, like an environment to, to have a pregnant, uh, to become pregnant. So Anyway, um, what I found in the research is that women are eating 400 to 600 more calories in this phase than any other phase. Um, And that's like was mind blowing to me because we have a stronger desire for these high fat foods, these higher complex carbs. And this can be related all to something very important, which is the mood chemicals, dopamine and serotonin, which are super low. And we know that these are mood boosting and we don't have them during this phase, which is why carbohydrates can easily be like boost these serotonin levels like back up. So it's no wonder we're wanting to have more sweets, more cookies, more chocolate, especially during this time. To what degree should we be giving? I say we, but uh, to what degree should uh, <laughs> should the ladies be um, giving into those cravings during this time? You know, it's it's kind of a mixed bag because if you, I, within working with the female community, if you say to anybody, you can't have this, guess what? You're going to have more of it. So I would say absolutely listen to these cravings, but also, um, you know, kind of set yourself up for success. If you know that you're in this luteal phase, Give yourself an opportunity to stock up on foods that are going to make you happy. Perhaps it's sweet potatoes, which are sweet, which why not? Um, how about squash? Even having like fruits, citrus fruits, um, berries, like all of these amazing foods could be fantastic to boost your energy. And then give yourself some dark chocolate. Like what's, you know, that is essential. We I love dark chocolate. And I think if you permit it, you can actually enjoy it and feel less stress eating it. Are these kinds of foods going to actually help alleviate the symptoms of bloating and cramping that I guess you get during during this phase? Yeah. I mean, the hope is that by eating a lot of these um, hydrating fruits and vegetables, that that will help the body stop to you know retain the water that 
ultimately happens during this phase thanks to these elevated levels of estrogen and progesterone. So I feel like if there is an opportunity to have more hydrating fruits and vegetables in addition to like drinking a lot of water, this could be the great phase for you to reduce that bloat. That's amazing. So that completes basically the cycle. And then from there, we go back Back to the menstrual phase. Exactly. I know. And this is, this is like a roller coaster ride, but it's also a merry-go-round at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Is it, is it normal for, I mean, every woman's cycle is different or do they, um, or are they for the most part consistent? Because I feel like I meet a lot of girls, they probably deal with that amenorrhea um, Mm -hmm. condition frequently. Yeah. I think every, everyone's cycle is so unique to them. Um, You know, for instance, saying that a cycle is 28 days, that is based on an average, but that is not considered normal. Like the word normal really shouldn't, there is no definition of normal. And that's why, yeah, like that's why if you're having a cycle that's 35 days, like that's okay too. If you're having a cycle that's 40 days or 40 days plus, like maybe there's something else going on. But, you know, that being said, these hormonal waves and these shifts are really important to, for people to get in touch with, especially if they're trying to start a family one day, because it could be, um, you know, just a sign that something underlying could be, um, you know, perhaps off. Yeah. Where does exercise fit into all this? Ooh, exercise. Great question. So exercise is extremely important to get within, I would say every single day, but that is not going to hold true within a food cycling because during the menstrual phase, your body is you know, you're, you're shedding blood. So your goal is to really revive and energy shouldn't really be expended that much during this time. Um, you know, kind of in addition to the luteal phase, which is the last end of it, your body is, like I said, building this uterine lining. So that is taking up a lot of energy to rebuild. So I would stick to exercising during the follicular phase in addition to the ovulatory phase, um, and especially during the ovulatory phase when testosterone is a little bit higher and you may have a little bit more like oomph in your workouts. Yeah, I love that. Um, Man, we've covered so much. I feel like I've learned more than I ever (laughs) thought I would have known about period health and um, food cycling and... Uh, menstrual phases. What else can we can we add to this tome? I feel like this is going to be a really great episode for for my listeners. Well, you know, I think with with the menstrual cycle, my uh, the way that I learned that something was going wrong with me is because I was writing a lot of these notes in an app. Um, you know, there's a ton of period tracker apps and it breaks it down into a calendar each month where you can add notes, add any type of, um, you know, irregularities or feelings that you may have. So that will help you create a little bit more um, parameters into how you're feeling, which will help you extract any data, especially if something's going wrong. Um, You know, I, like I said, I work with women, um, especially in the, who are trying to get pregnant and one in eight women um, have difficulties getting pregnant. And if it comes down to kind of looking at somebody's diet within their cycle, you can make a lot of adjustments and changes with food before, you know, you run to the doctor and say that like something, you know, is going wrong. Like for me, I just had to eat a little bit like more. And that was like such a simple twist for me to get my cycle back. Um, so it takes a little bit of legwork to do this type of, um, you know, kind of unwinding into an app or let's say, you know, even a journal, um, but it's, you're going to get a lot of good data from it. I love, do you have any favorite apps? I mean, for listeners that might want to go check them out. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you experimented with a few. Yeah. I like um, Flow Living. That's that's a good one. Um, I think there's a lot of, even just, um, Oh, goodness. There's, there's a ton. Flow Living is my one that I use, so I would recommend that one. That's awesome. Um, well, we don't have that much time left, but I know that another topic that, um, that you're very passionate about is diet culture mm-hmm. and how we can you know, push back against uh, diet culture to um, create habits and attitudes um, around food that are, I guess, more healthy and more sustainable. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is that the case? Yeah. I mean, if you even, the, it's funny that we are talking about this now because the reason why you and I are even connected is because somebody tagged you in one of my Instagram posts about the detox products that are on the market. And like, that is so enlightening to me that something like this diet culture can bring people together, such as like you and I, who can talk about how we can really, you know, combat this whole entire society where we're being told like what's good and what's bad. And it really doesn't have to come down to these awful detox products that are like crowding our, our Instagram marketplace right now. Um, yeah. Have you seen- What is detox, what oh. is detox culture? Just if yeah. we can define it. Cause I mean, when we're, is, or diet culture, is it, is it like people that are trying to experiment with new diets? Is that what you mean by that? Or is it more the sort of like marketing to women and exploiting their insecurities and yeah. making them feel inadequate about their appearances. Yeah, is that I, I think kind of what it is? yeah, I think within uh, what you were saying the the latter half is definitely what we're trying to um, fight against and you know having these products that are on the market telling us to, you know, smooth these lines on our like cellulite and to use this product to get rid of wrinkles. Like all of that is embedded within diet culture. Um, And it's not just about like diet culture that you have to diet and then lose weight. It's just even about like body image. So I think right now there is a a movement that um, has really changed the landscape um, on what we're seeing. And within Instagram, and I don't know if you've seen, but there's this actress, um, her name's Jamila Jamil, and she's on The Good Place. Have you have you seen what she's been doing? I think people have tagged me in yeah. some of her stuff or her and my stuff. I don't know, but I don't know anything about her. Yeah. So she is a body positive activist and she has been like creating a lot of um, backlash for women, um, especially in the public eye, like the Kardashians and Amber Rose, um, for really uh, um, really promoting these types of products to their you know millions of followers. And she's kind of called them out. She's told them that what they're doing is wrong and that they should be ashamed of themselves. But what happened was she um, has really created a type of wave of people who are asking questions and who are kind of fighting back. And she went to Instagram and said, like, what is going on? How are these products being um showcase to these young users um, like these detox teas, like these types of weight loss supplements that promise, you know, dropping 10 pounds in like three minutes. So she has really created um, a movement and Instagram is now restricting these Instagram posts that promote these products to anyone under 18. And it also will remove anything that promises a type of like miracle solution for, uh, for weight loss. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's also going to be really easy to flag any type of post that comes up that, you know, doesn't adhere to these guidelines. Yeah. Super important. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'm definitely, you know, I, I feel like I see this all the time where, I mean, it's, but it's diet culture on Instagram, but it's also like major corporations and the, the way that products are marketed to women and have been for, for mm-hmm. decades, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not just the Kardashians. It's kind of yeah, like right. the world yeah. we live in, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, that's, it's, everything is being masqueraded as like something else, which really helps, doesn't help us feel good about um, the foods that we're giving to our bodies, but also how we're feeling. Why are we trying to fix ourselves? And why don't we just be able to become happy with who we are, which, you know, it's ultimately the goal, right? Totally the goal. I don't know. That's that's what I'm trying to live by. So we'll see. <laughs> thousand percent. I couldn't agree more. Um, so when it comes to food trends, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word diet after what we just discussed, but I mean, I guess like dietary patterns, um, fad diets, uh, you know, interest, you know, for different diet and lifestyle modalities, like what are some trends that you, uh, think actually hold value and what are some that you think need to need to go away need to go away well let's i guess we'll start with the ones that i like because i have definitely more ones that i don't like but right now i'm i'm i feel like plant-based has a lot of um is building a very good foundation in regards to how it can positively affect our health so um 
I, like I said, I work with fertility clients and there's a ton of research that shows um, that eating more vegetable types of proteins rather than animal proteins can actually um, increase um, your chances of becoming pregnant by more than 50%. That's that's wild to think about. And these, you know, we're finding also that eating more plants um, can also help lower the risk of heart disease. You know, there's a lot of um, research, especially in the Journal of the American um, College of Cardiology. They looked at like over 200,000 adults and they found that those that had a like healthful plant-based diet lowered their risk of heart disease like tremendously in comparison with subjects who didn't. Super interesting. Did, but didn't we talk earlier about how like heme iron was probably the, the best and most bioavailable source of iron for women during their menstrual cycle? Yes. Phase? Right. So, right. But with, in terms of fertility, because they're finding that within these animal proteins, even though the iron is there, there's a lot of other things within animal products that really aren't as beneficial to the body. So they're looking at like these plant-based proteins, like these chickpeas, lentils, like quinoa, and those are offering more of the essential essential nutrients that are needed for the body to help get pregnant. Got it. So, okay. You're a fan of veganism. Um, Are you, are you a vegan personally or no? No, no, no. Actually, veganism is something that I'm not, that I want to go away. I don't like that trend. (laughs) Got it. Oh, so you mean like just more like a plant forward diet? Because I feel like plant based is a word that's used to describe veganism. Ah, you know? my bad. It's sort of like an it's sort of an aberration of the English language, I think, because you know you're a carbon based life form, but you're not all carbon, right? Like right. you're not a diamond. So I feel like I mean, you are a diamond. You don't know that. Tracy. You don't know that. <laughs> you are a diamond, Tracy. Um, we all are, um, and every listener is as well. But no, I mean, the, when you said plant-based, my brain immediately went to vegan because that's the vegan community will use plant-based as a sort of synonym for uh, the vegan diet. So you're just you're just advocating for like a plant-forward. Yes, plant-forward. I know. I think there's a lot of um, like murky language right now within the wellness and the health world. So yeah, so I am which I should clarify, eating more vegetable proteins rather than animal proteins um, like the quinoas. And, but that's not like veganism for this research. So with the reason why I don't like veganism is because it takes out fish. And like fish is one of those foods that actually, you know, obviously it's so great for our brain, so good for our cognitive functioning. It's so good for our menstrual health, but it also helps people get pregnant faster. They found that those who ate like eight servings or more of seafood per week were shown to get pregnant sooner than those who rarely ate seafood. That's awesome. Yeah. Fish is, fish is a form of medicine, I think. Oh, it's, I know. It's, it's great for you. I know. Um, yeah. I don't know. The the research on red meat, I'm not, I'm not super convinced that, you know, about the heart disease argument. There was that big, um, you know, review that came out recently yeah. in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Yeah. But that's a topic that could be endlessly, endlessly debated, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I know. Anything okay. else? Do you, do you get a lot of, uh, like, females that that come to you they want to jump on the keto bandwagon what are your thoughts on that oh goodness well that's i feel like i've gotten into a lot of instagram fights about the keto diet (laughs) and it's just because it what it's doing for what i'm seeing in my population that i work with it's not positively reinforcing good eating habits um and you know just going back into science There was a science, um, I'm sorry, there was a research that came out, I think it was last week from the Journal of Clinical Lipidology. They found that following a keto diet for one year was shown to to increase the bad LDL cholesterol and only helped short-term weight loss. And people are following keto because they want to have, you know, these health parameters that are going to be spectacular. And that's just not the case. Yeah. I mean, I think what's important is that... um the keto diet is not the only road to weight loss if your goal is weight loss. I think a lot of people promote the keto diet as if it's like the only way to lose weight and it's not. And, you know, as you so eloquently put it earlier in the episode, you know, I mean, a keto diet is basically a fasting mimetic sort of diet. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a nutritional paradigm that allows you to eat food, but it basically sends a signal to your body that food is scarce, Mm -hmm. which we know is not, um, the way forward if you're trying to uh, have healthy periods or 
um, or be at your most fertile. I mean, mm. I always I always recommend looking into the keto diet for certain therapeutic applications and to know what you're getting into. But to be chronically in ketosis all the time, I think one does not need to do. Yeah, yeah. And I think anything that sounds trendy like keto, it sounds cool. Like, you know, it sounds like all the kids are talking about it. So, you know, if anything, what I think keto can do for somebody is it can allow them to look at their diet with a little bit more, um, a little bit more tight, like um, inspection. So they're not, you know, throwing everything into their mouths. They're a little bit more mindful and they're learning about their own habits. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, well, we're almost out of time. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you'd like to add? This was such a great um, chat. So thank you for having yeah, it with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what I, I when I'm not writing the book, which is coming out soon, um, I'm working with um, individuals to help them with their cycle. I am on um, YouTube doing videos with Well and Good, and we're debunking a lot of health myths and diets and what I'll be doing in the next coming weeks is I will have a video on menstrual health, on menstrual health, on food cycling and the best foods to eat to have a better cycle. So if you're like, I wanted to, you know, take notes and do this again, you can watch on YouTube um, a little bit more about, about what to eat to support a healthier and better cycle. That's so cool. And I feel like, uh, I see you all the time on JetBlue when I'm flying back and forth to New York. Ah, uh, um, you, you called me out, Max. Yeah. Trying, to, trying to go under the radar. Yeah. You're, you're a media <laughs> sensation, Tracy Lockwood Beckerman. You know, it's funny because within those – so these YouTube videos of you versus food have now become um, able to be streamed on JetBlue flights. And I'm telling you, like, people are just coming out of the woodwork. I had no idea how many people flew JetBlue. That's like that or even take flights. I didn't know half these people were traveling as much as they were anyway. Yeah, you're, you're kind of a big deal. Thanks. Thanks. But I'm hoping, <laughs> you know, the same thing with you. I'm just hoping that people will pay a little bit more attention to the foods they're putting in their bodies. And if something doesn't feel right to look a little bit closer and to get help, because, you know, that's why we're doing what we're doing is to get the information out there. I love it. Well, your book is called The Better Period Food Solution. Eat your way to a lifetime of healthier cycles. When does it come out? It comes out October 22nd. And where people can, I guess, pre-order it now. Yes, you could pre-order it now on Amazon, um, Barnes and Noble, but it will be live. You, if you pre-order it, you can get it on October second. I'm sorry, on October twenty second, which will be really exciting. Amazing. All right. Well, I've got one last question for you. Before we get to that, how can listeners? Um, you just shared where they can get your book, obviously, but how can they connect with you over uh, social media? Ah, so I don't know if you've heard in my voice, but I'm very happy. So <laughs> I, my Instagram handle is the happiest nutritionist. And um, it's it's fun to connect with so many people from like really around the world on this on this platform. So I'm really fortunate to have that that exposure right now. So awesome. Yeah. Instagram is the best. I'm a it depends pretty- the day. It depends, it, depends, the day. <laughs> yes. it depends on the day. Yes. Certainly. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's been a great platform for me to connect with so many people from all around the world. And, um, you know, I'm just grateful to all of my followers and it's, uh, you know, it can, it's like a double-edged sword, like any aspect of technology, you know, it could be used to put good content out there and to, and to make a positive mark on the world, or it could be used to share, I don't know, like photos of your butt. All day yeah, long, I guess makes other people's, you know, certain people's days better and brighter. <laughs> right. it, yes, it, and also it's a great way to really build out your community. And we're, we're learning that the best way to have a better health system and a health support is to put more positive things in your life. And so if you're following people that are causing you to feel toxic or to feel negative, don't follow them. You should only be walking away from Instagram with more endorphins and more like serotonin than anything. I could not agree more. Could not agree more. Yes. So that's why we should follow you, Max. And then why people should follow me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, all right. Well, this was amazing. I've learned so much. I feel like I'm ready finally for the first time to have a girlfriend and to know like what, how to deal with her, you know, monthly. Yeah. Her cycle. I yeah, like I well, thought you were well going to say that you're you're ready for your period. <laughs> ready for my period. <laughs> yes, I'm ready for my period. Yes. Um, 
Well, thank you for having me. And I am so, um, I'm so excited to get the information out and, and spread the word. Yeah. So the last question that gets asked everybody on this show is what does it mean to you to live a genius life? Take it wherever you'd like. Ooh, uh, um, let's think. I think to live a genius life is, is to actually feel confident in your decisions. When you're saying yes to opportunities that are going to make you feel good about yourself and going to connect with the right people, that makes you ultimately do your job better. So I think um, that would be, that might be my takeaway. And also to eat dessert because I think dessert is one of the best things in the world. Do you have a favorite dessert? <laughs> um, right now, what's my favorite dessert? Oh, I'm being super weird, but I've uh, had these delicious raspberries and I'm putting dark chocolate chips into the raspberries. So it's like a mixture of dark chocolate, a little bit of like sourness or depending on sweetness, depending which one you get on the raspberry. And then you just kind of like throw them in your mouth. It's like really fun. <laughs> oh my God. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and it's really cute. You know, it's like you have a plate of these like chocolate chips, but with like raspberries. So, you know, you're, you're doing two good things at once. <laughs> yeah. But I'm sure kids love it too. Yeah. Doing that, that little not? thing. It's like, and it's and like adults. Little... And everything. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a it's a people pleaser for sure. I know. Uh, sure. I'm gonna tr I'm gonna try that. Well, Miss um, Beckerman, thank you so much for being here. This was a joy, and to all you guys out there in podcast land, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, I value your time and attention. Take a moment to share this episode of the Genius Life by posting up a screen grab on your Instagram stories. Highlight your favorite quote from Tracy or I. Tag us, and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace. <laughs>